Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood here, coming at you again with story time. It's uh, a little later in the week than normal. <laughs> of course, it's always later in the week than I initially started. And I initially started these videos and podcasts, it was uh, Mondays, and lately it's been Thursdays. But... Yeah, okay, so I'm recording this on Thursday. Hopefully get it out this evening. Fair warning, i uh, only going to do one chapter of the Pericles Conspiracy on this one just because of uh, time. This week has been pretty busy. But before we get into that, let's do a little update here on the uh, Kingswood Abode and Writing Empire. We've uh, had another good week last week. Uh, it was fifth week of the great challenge of short story writing and i got my short story done this one was closer to a novelette came in at 7200 words and it's funny i figured i'd make it a science fiction mystery it ended up being that the science fiction part was pretty much non-existent it's obviously set a little bit in the future because of some of the gadgets they've got but it's pretty much all mystery <laughs> so I could have taken the high-tech gadgets out and it would change nothing. So, really hard to call that true science fiction. But whatever, I, I like how it turned out. We'll see how, uh, you know, every, every, every week when I do these stories, I send them into Dean because I'm doing the uh, challenge with him. And he reads them through. It's part of a motivating thing. And he sends back his comments. So far, he's liked all the ones I've done, which is nice. Uh, we'll see what he thinks about this one. I don't know that it really matters what he thinks because he's just one guy. But he has been doing this for a while, so it's always good to get his opinion. Anyway, uh, so that was good. Uh, I've got two more audio, audiobook short stories uh, re-recorded. These are ones that I previously podcasted here. Uh, the original recordings weren't so good because I was still trying to figure the stuff out. And uh, so I re-recorded them. Uh, this was the, the Memory of Justice and A Chat Before Dinner. Uh, got those two both redone and when i got those done i went back through the the table of contents in my my collection of short stories short story 10 back and i realized hey look at that <laughs> i have all the stories uh they're in that recorded so i also compiled that down into an audiobook of the short story 10 back and those have all been uploaded to the various places acx uh, for audible is always slower than every place else but you can find all three of those uh on they're all on Google Play, they're all on iTunes, and on the Kobo store at this point, and going out to other places as well. Uh, the Bibliotech uh, library rental thing is uh, going strong there. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so that makes a total of 16 audiobooks, uh, most of them short stories. I do have the Veritas Norte, Veritas Morte novella and the first Glimmer Veil book, up uh, as audiobooks as well. Really want to get the rest of the Glimmer Veil books done, but the guy who did the reading on Glimmer Veil, vale, 
he got sick, had some real big medical issues last fall, and he's coming back around into the world of the living, but uh, hasn't really gotten back to me yet with uh, his status. Hopefully we can hook back up with him, otherwise we'll have to get somebody else. I'd really rather not do that because I'd like to keep the voice acting consistent. But I do got to get it done. Of course, on the flip side, at this point, I don't have a whole lot of the spare cash to get it done with since I you know, bought those ISBNs and a few other things. Uh, so I'll need a couple months to replenish my kitty before I'm ready to do that with him anyway. So no huge hurry there, especially since I'm doing these short stories myself. It's kind of fun that way. Um, what else is going on? So the other thing that's going on is I, yeah, I use BookFunnel to deliver my ebooks to people who buy them from my from my uh, web store and you can also do giveaways and stuff with them and I've done use them a little bit in the past for giveaways but I haven't really really pushed it too hard because a lot of people use there's a functionality to book funnel where you can give away books and they uh, plugs people into your email marketing lists and I've always shied away from doing that in the past because I, I, I have an email marketing list and there's a couple hundred people on it, but I mostly got those people because they read my stuff and they came to the list after reading my stuff and liked it. There's a couple times I did some uh, advertising and some giveaways through Facebook several years ago and got a bunch of subscribers that way, but most of the people I got at this point have been people who just like my stuff and wanted to get uh, told when new stuff is coming out or you know whatever and uh, so I I kind of like that right of you know on podcasts and talking to other writers there's a whole bunch of writers who out there who have done all kinds of free giveaways and gotten these massive lists of like 10,000 people or something and then get no basically no benefit from those lists because People only only joined up to get the one free thing. They may not have ever read it, and they're not really fans of the writer, and so they're paying for this big email list. But then they send out advertising blasts to the email list, and nothing really comes of it. And that seems wasteful to me. So I like the idea of an organically grown list more. But since I'm re-getting back, I'm I'm restarting everything basically this year because 2017 was. Meh, 2018 as far as actual writing production sucked. I had the last two years between getting in the Navy and the divorce thing and selling the house and a bunch of other things going on and finally threw the grommet on a whole bunch of stuff here. And and uh, so it's... I'm getting back into the swing of writing. So finally in this year, I've gotten many more words written than all of last year already. I'm not even halfway through the year left yet. Not even halfway through the year yet. All right, and I'm doing this challenge, doing a short story every week, so I'm going to continue doing that. I'm going to finish working on these novels, get all those out, can have a whole lot of stuff, a lot of time. I mean, I've got about a whole bunch of titles, uh, shorter works and uh, novellas and shorter that I've been sitting around that I haven't done anything with. Well, that's not entirely true. I have been doing stuff with, but I've been submitting them to the various uh, magazines and publications and Writers of the Future contests and stuff, but... Um, and a couple have gotten sold. I've told you about those sales. But um, 
the others have just kind of been sitting there and I haven't done anything with them and I've been saying to myself, oh, self, you should publish those. But I mean, it kind of been, it's kind of weird because I've been in a scarcity mindset with them because I hadn't been doing a lot of writing, right? So I've got a dozen, 15 stories sitting in the back. No, three years, like almost 20 stories sitting there that I haven't done anything with, right? Uh, six of them are new, relatively new from the anthology workshop this this year, and you know, they're still going through the application submission process to some places, and that's cool. But then another, you know, 10 or 15 of them are just kind of not doing anything with them. Why the hell am I not putting those out in the world, right? Same, and not what I keep thinking, oh, well, they might get picked up somewhere and oh that's a really good story I want to try to get out but it's like well what am I doing right now last year I was focused everywhere else and same thing the year before but now that I'm getting back in the swing of things I'm going to start putting things out right um, all these various stories uh, between so as well as the great, the great challenge stories and we 52 of them here by this time next year and no way all 52 of those will get sold to some traditional short story market. You know, a, f a few will, probably. Uh, but, yeah. Well, am I just going to sit on those? No. So over the next, you know, I'm going to start putting these short stories out periodically, at least once a month, maybe two a month. All right. Um, that way I can <laughs> do my uh, thing for my subscribers, my uh supporting patron members of my website they get a short story a month or more um and also just start putting product back out you start getting you know there's all kinds of stuff people will tell you about algorithms and amazon and other places too where if you're put regularly putting stuff out it's easier to get noticed so in addition to that with that in mind of getting back in between things putting stuff out i'm looking at this email list and i'm like i don't know it's been like a year since i talked to these people and i don't know how many of them are going to want to hear from me anymore? So this week, uh, like about a week ago, I started doing another one of the uh, a promotion through Book Funnel, giving away uh, Glimmer Veil, and uh, in exchange for a sign up on the email list. So I've gotten like seventy more people sign up. It's like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Um, meanwhile, this week I sent out an email blast to everybody I currently had on the list who came before the Book Funnel thing. I said, hey, do you want to hear from me or not? If not, unsubscribe, and I've had a whole bunch, whole bunch of people unsubscribe, and that's great. Um, so, and between that and this uh, infinite bard thing, and uh, uh, so I'm kind of gearing both sides up uh, right now, the, the, the writing side and the business side, and hopefully get things going a whole lot more impressively than they have to date uh, by, you know, later this year, by the fall, and we'll see how, how that goes. So that's what's been going on. Uh, a whole lot of movement. It's been pretty good. So, yeah, let's get back to the story then. The Pericles Conspiracy. Last time we talked to Joe, she had just gotten back from meeting the underground, and Special Agent Calderon was waiting for her in an apartment, pointing a gun at her. And that's not good. So we'll see what happens next. Enjoy. I'll talk to you on the flip side after this next chapter. The Pericles Conspiracy, written by me, read by me. It's too much fun to not apologize for reading it because, you know, why not, right?
Chapter 14. Incarceration. The room was moderate-sized, not that much smaller than the bedroom in her condo. It was sparsely furnished, with a single table in the center of the room that had two chairs facing each other and another, smaller table off in the corner. The wall next to the second table was clearly a console of some sort, but it was dead and resisted any of Joe's attempts to turn it on. The walls were bare and painted white, as was the single door in one of the corners. Joe could not see any video or listening devices, but she had no doubt there were several present. This was an interrogation room, after all. Or so she assumed. Agent Calderon had been polite, but firm, the entire drive to NSA's Quito field office. He never laid a hand on her, though he made it clear without saying it that things would go badly for her if she did not do exactly as he ordered. Despite the unspoken threat, Joe could not bring herself to be afraid of physical harm. He was a federal officer, after all, and they did have rules. She followed him into the field office, and when he directed her through a nondescript door on the second floor, she entered without question, and found herself locked in this room, alone. By the chronometer on her wrist, that was two hours ago. Her initial nervousness, her worry over what the NSA knew or suspected, and how much trouble she was in, had long since given way to irritation, then annoyance, then anger not to mention a steadily worsening need for the bathroom. If someone did not show up soon, there was really going to be hell to pay. No sooner had that thought crossed through Joe's head than she heard a click of the door lock retracting. Then the door swung open and Agent Moore walked in. Dressed in a stylish pantsuit that was elegant in its simplicity, the NSA agent paused just inside the door and looked Joe over for a moment. Please take a seat, Captain, Agent Moore said, her tone polite and businesslike. Then she sat down herself and placed her briefcase onto the table. There was no point in making a fuss, so Joe sat down as instructed. The two women sat in silence for a long moment. Joe's anger faded a bit, replaced by a slowly growing amusement. Did this girl really think that silence was going to intimidate her? Memories of her father, dead for almost ten waking years now, and the discipline he taught flashed through her mind, and it was all Joe could do not to laugh. This lady had no idea what it was to embrace silence, to commune with one's own subconscious for hours. Agent Moore had another thing coming if she thought a little silence and a weak stare-down was going to intimidate her. After a short while, Agent Moore cleared her throat and flipped open the latches to her briefcase. I must say, Captain, I'm very disappointed. Well, you bought the suit. Next time, bring a friend along when you try on clothes. Agent Moore scowled her eyes narrowing with what could only be irritation. She pulled a small tablet from the briefcase and set it down on the table between them. Tapping the screen to life, she made a few more gestures, and a video began to play. Joe's spirits sank as she saw the images on the screen. There was Malcolm, talking with her in the parquet. And then, in the soft green tint of a low-light camera, the image of herself getting out of his car and walking through the park near her condo. What the hell? Joe looked from the screen to Agent Moore, astonishment leaving her speechless for a moment. Agent Moore's eyebrow quirked upward and she said, Yes, we had you under surveillance. Mr. Ngubwe very effectively lost our pursuers when you left with him, but he was less careful when he dropped you off again. He led us right back to his compatriots. Her tone became amused, mocking at the end there. Joe sat back in her seat and crossed her arms over her chest, suddenly feeling very vulnerable. Agent Moore leaned toward her, pressing her advantage. What did you think you were doing, Captain? I told you to contact me if you heard from Ngubwe again, and instead you got into a car with him. Joe spread her hands in a gesture that she hoped was placating. It seemed the right thing to do at the time. 
the right thing? Joe shrugged and looked from Agent Moore to the door. I think it's time I spoke to a lawyer. A loud snort was Agent Moore's initial reply. Lawyer? No lawyer would have you, Captain. A hearty smack on the console and the wall made the wall flash, then turn on. Joe was only halfway surprised to see that most of the wall was, in fact, a display screen. A slideshow of images appeared on the wall display and Joe's breath caught in her throat. Lars, the handsome, muscular guard, sprawled out on the ground in an expanding pool of blood. Becky, her face bruised and battered and her hands cuffed behind her back, being led into a police cruiser. Other faces, people she recognized from her brief stay with Malcolm's organization, though she could not recall their names, flashed past in various states ranging from dead to beaten or merely defeated and hopeless. Joe looked aghast from the display to Agent Moore, her jaw dropping open. Agent Moore smirked. I suppose we should thank you. We've been searching for this particular cell for almost four years. They were very adept at avoiding detection. Her eyebrows rose in time with her words. Until you came along. Joe sunk back into the chair, the enormity of what had happened crushing down on her. Guilt welled up, threatening to overwhelm her as she considered the shattered lives on display before her. Frantically, she sought the peace of meditation that her father had taught her all those years ago, but it would not come. Lord, she was a fool. You're a fool, Captain, said Agent Moore, echoing Joe's own thoughts as she sat back down into the chair across from Joe. If you played it right, you could have gotten credit for this takedown. Agent Moore's smirk became a twisted grin as she went on. Hell, they'd probably have given you a medal and a reward credit. But as it is, she shook her head. You're an accomplice. A co-conspirator. Agent Moore put the tablet back into her briefcase and snapped it shut, then stood and walked to the door. The door swung open easily at her touch. She paused and looked back at Joe with eyes that almost appeared pitying. Such a waste. You could have been off in your precious starliner in a few months. A rich, respected woman, she sighed, shaking her head again. Hope you're not claustrophobic. At Agent Moore's gesture, two lean, muscular men stepped into the room. They moved around the table towards Joe. She backed away but quickly found herself pressed up against the wall. The two men wore identical, stern, yet apathetic expressions as they drew nearer. The man on the left reached out to grab her, and muscle memory from hundreds of hours of training in her youth took over. Joe caught his hand and twisted it around and upward, putting him into a wrist lock that made his eyes bulge in surprise and pain. The other man, his expression losing its apathy, bounded forward, but Joe forced the first man in front of him with a hard push against the back of the elbow on his trapped arm. The two men collided and fell to the ground in a tangle of arms and legs. Joe leapt away from them and turned toward the door. She froze as she found herself looking down the barrel of another plasma pistol. Don't make this harder on yourself than it already is, Captain, Agent Moore said, her tone icy as she flicked off the pistol's safety. Joe swallowed. To her right, the two men were regaining their feet, their faces dark with chagrin. For a heartbeat, Joe considered making a try for it, but just as quickly she shelved the idea. There was no way she could cross the three meters between her and Agent Moore without getting a plasma ball in the face. And besides, even if she made it, where the hell was she going to go? It's not like they would just let her walk out of the field office. With a deep sigh, Joe raised her hands in submission. Agent Moore nodded to the two men. They grabbed her by her upper arms and, one on each side, pulled her out of the interrogation room. Agent Moore led them down the corridor, then down a flight of stairs into the field office's basement. A uniformed guard sat behind a desk at the bottom of the stairwell. He nodded familiarly to Agent Moore as she strode past and watched Joe with appraising eyes as she followed. 
They trooped down another corridor and through a set of security doors into a long hallway lined on each side by small, sturdy doors with numbers on them. Agent Moore opened a door numbered 37 and pointed inside. The men shoved Joe forward and she stumbled into the room. Joe's first thought was one of relief. For one thing, her arms had begun to tingle from lack of circulation from the tightness of the men's grips. For another thing, there was a toilet in the room. Her next thought was one of disgust because the room was nasty. The only furniture besides the toilet was a ratty cot along the far wall which was covered with dirty sheets. There was graffiti on the walls and grime in the corners. What the hell kind of holding cell was this? Then the door closed behind her and the lights went out, leaving her in near total darkness. Well, Joe's in jail. That sucks. Not much else to say about that. A little hard to see how she's going to get out of this one. Maybe she won't. You know, I told you the story is a long story, but uh, you remember in Nightmare on Elm Street, where the first 10 or 15 minutes, you think that that girl, the blonde girl, is the main character, and then she dies, and it turns out the main character is the other girl? Yeah, maybe it's like that. <laughs> or maybe not. But we'll uh, find out more next week, or the next episode. Uh, I don't know if I have the time to put second episode out this week or not. Otherwise, we'll start. We'll just check in next next week with the next chapter or two. But of course, if you can't wait, you're like, "Holy cow, what's going on with Joe?" I gotta know now, now, now. Go buy the book. Buy it from me. Buy it from Amazon. Buy it from Barnes Noble, Kobo, everywhere on the planet, and uh, that will make me happy. And then come by website, sign up for the mailing list. Become a member of my website. Drop me a couple bucks a month and you'll get free stuff. Of course, it's not free because you're paying for it through the membership. But, you know, think of it like free and that would be good. Um, <laughs> we'll go from there. Uh, speaking of which, if you guys, speaking of free stuff, if you guys do have uh, a hankering and you haven't read Glimmer Veil vale yet and you want to grab that that free copy that I alluded to earlier from Book Funnel, I'll put the link for that giveaway in the show notes to this so that you can go and pick up a copy and read it and enjoy it and that will also get you on my mailing list <laughs> and then you can go you know enjoy the rest of the season rest of the series and we'll all be happy so that's how i'll do that so hope you guys enjoyed this chapter and uh i'll talk to you next time until then don't do anything i wouldn't do Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>